90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm surviving. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm also surviving. I'm melting. <laughs> oh, man. How is that? So at 11 o'clock last night, my outside thermometer said 103. And then yep. at 3 a.m. this morning, my phone thermometer said 92. <laughs> yep, I saw one of your TV Mets over there said it's too hot to put the numbers in Fahrenheit, so we're going to use Celsius <laughs> into the forecast for highs in the 40s. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> oh, man, it's just, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Look, I feel like I haven't been outside, and so that's driving me insane. So, you know, it's rough. How much water are you evaporating off your roof? <laughs> Does it even uh, hit the roof? <laughs> yeah, it hits the roof, but doesn't make it very far. Uh, I'm going to say roughly 200 gallons a day right now. Wow. Yeah. This is, uh, 200 gallons I mean, a day, and the air conditioner comes on at 6 a.m. and shuts off at about 10 or 11 p.m. This is, yeah, I mean, we're not the only ones, so there's that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's uh, been very hot. Yeah. That wretched heat dome is not fun. So that's, um, that's what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go no. out and water the plants and water the chickens and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're saying next week we have above average precipitation chances. Uh, I don't even know what that P word that you well, just said was. <laughs> well, my question is, like, you know, if you say, okay, our chances of precipitation next week are double what they are this week, they're zero <laughs> this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will say, today was very cloudy. It was really weird. Um, but, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's weird to think that almost to the day, two months ago, I was in 19 inches of snow. <laughs> right. Two months ago. Like, that doesn't even, yeah, that doesn't even seem possible. But yeah. I keep looking at the pictures on my phone to remind myself of what that felt like. <laughs> it will be back. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So uh. this morning, we actually did have just south of us. I mean, they, they slipped 10 miles south of us. Some oh. thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty electrical, too. Yeah, we had a lot of lightning with these. And, you know, we have all kinds of sensors out there measuring that. Uh, but it got me thinking about another musical phenomena. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Um, this is cool stuff. So if you're talking about thunderstorms, you're not talking about the thunder, but you're actually talking about sound from lightning. Yeah, so the radio signals that are emitted by lightning. Lightning's weird stuff, man. It is. Mm-hmm. Does some really weird stuff. And I want to know why every one of these atmospheric things that we've been listening to sounds like a laser gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just every single one of them. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who's listening to lightning? 
Well, lightning scientists. We've had Dr. Eric Bruning on before, and he actually uh, can hear lightning in his radio receivers, though he's normally working in a higher frequency band than what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So really he's, cool. he's trying to locate lightning using VHF and UHF radio. This is really cool. So it seems like this could be something that you could potentially see really far away too, right? Yeah. So lower frequencies, we know, travel further, less attenuation. Uh, there's also all these fun ionospheric waveguides that we alluded to last week when we were talking uh-huh. about the aurora. Yeah. And yeah. if you listen down in the lower frequencies, you know, the AM bands, anybody that's old enough to remember listening to AM radio instead of FM would know that you would hear these pops and crackles and that those were lightning somewhere around, but it could have been up to 2,000 kilometers away. <laughs> Sorry about the signal. There's a lightning storm on the continent next door. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and generally with AM, we didn't get quite that lucky, but yeah, you could be listening. I remember listening to a New Orleans AM station and being able to hear lightning from thunderstorms that were like in South Texas. Uh, Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I'm not even sure that my 13-year-old son knows what AM and FM are. All the music comes from the internet now. It's real weird. It's true. Um, (laughs) What we went to, this is... Definitely a tangent, but we went to the AM Gold tour of Train. Oh, yeah. Last week, and one of their... They tried to make it sound like you were scanning across the radio dial between mm-hmm. songs, kind of. Like, they would intersperse other genres of music, like, and they, the back of the stage made it look like a radio dial tuning. Oh, that's awesome. And I was very curious how many people were like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Because it was an old school, like you would see in a you know, 60s pickup kind of radio. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, even the cars that my husband uh, restores, which, you know, are like 60s cars, even they have digital radios now. Isn't yeah. that weird? They're shaped like old radios, <laughs> but they are new digital radios with Bluetooth and everything. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. They've got those weird buttons that you would press in, you know, and you'd like hurt your finger pressing them in. But now they just, you barely touch them and they do their digital thing. It's, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> right. But yeah, so, back to lightning. <laughs> yeah. If you have an AM radio, you can just tune it to somewhere where you're listening to static and you can hear these pops and clicks or you can go on YouTube and hear them. And those are broadband impulse that results from a lightning strike. So you get this huge discharge of current, which creates an electromagnetic pulse that propagates out across a very wide spectrum in the frequency domain. One person's noise is another person's signal. It's true. Uh, So these, uh, these are called radio atmospheric signals, or you almost never hear them called that. You normally hear them called spherics. Okay. I don't know how I feel about the spelling of that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, both of them are bad. S-F-E-R-I-C or S-P-H-E-R-I-C mm-hmm, are accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So, spherics coming out from lightning. I mean, do people do stuff with this? 
Yeah, so there's a there is a network that uses Spherix to try to do lightning strike counts and some other things uh-huh. like that. Okay, is that the, that's not the lightning detection network that does other it's things? It's not the NLDN though. Right. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, they use a combination of magnetic and other methods. Right. Okay, that's what uh, I thought. Uh, but anyway, so these spherics kind of get trapped in this Earth ionosphere waveguide. All right. Uh, which is basically because the lower atmosphere is transparent to this wavelength of radio signal. I mean, we're looking at things that are tens of kilometers in length. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when it gets to these highly charged layers, the upper atmosphere, they're kind of like a mirror. And so they'll reflect it back down, and it'll hit the ground and reflect, and it can travel these very long distances by ground atmosphere, ground atmosphere bounce. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, It can exit the waveguide and enter the magnetosphere sometimes. Ooh. All right. But that's another phenomena that we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. Um, but you can do all kinds. So there's generally we think these come from cloud to cloud and the return stroke mostly. Now, how can we tell that high speed cameras and timing and all that jazz? My guess is I didn't find a ton of citations on this, but I think it's done mostly using other methods like slow antennas or UHF locations. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, But like the return stroke is mostly in the VLF ELF range, we think. So that's less than three kilohertz is ELF, extremely low frequency. Mm Mm-hmm. 3 to 30 kilohertz is very low frequency, which that's all within the human hearing, or mostly. Okay. Hmm. Uh, so you can record these Interesting. and play them back without any <laughs> modification and hear them. That's cool. It's just we can't hear radio waves, but the frequencies are right. Okay. That makes sense. So cloud to ground or intracloud. And so when I think about like cool things about lightning, like we've talked about ball lightning and stuff on here, but like are these sprites and jets and stuff too? No, so these are all much lower. Okay. All right. In the atmosphere. Okay, yeah. not those ones that are super high up. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um so they do use spherics to monitor thunderstorms some. Uh we think that global lightning activity is generally like something of around 100 lightning strokes per second worldwide. Wow. What a cool number to know. <laughs> yeah, so every second there's roughly 100 lightning strokes somewhere in the world. Okay. Uh, they're also important when you start talking about interference with things that we use VLF and ELF for, like communication with submarines, uh, mm. long-distance telecommunication systems that are low bandwidth. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. How can you even get rid of them, though? Uh, you can't really. Okay. So yeah. you just hope for, hope for good weather, I guess. <laughs> um, and that's on top of all the other things that can interfere with those. Again, if you had an AM radio, you know that the ignition system of your car had to be really well insulated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, electric motors, ignition systems, uh, 
Uh, well, the the galactic origin stuff's up in the more HF band. That's more something that like Eric would have to worry about. Uh, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so that's a spheric, and they do some pretty interesting work with those. But what's really cool in my mind is when the spheric gets into the magnetosphere. Okay, so how does it exit the waveguide? Yeah, so to exit a waveguide, you have to be, well, the waveguide has to be not super reflective at your frequency. Uh, so different, you know, the electron count in that area, the atmosphere goes up or down. Uh, maybe your angle of incidence is just right. Okay. I think there's a pretty wide variety of ways that you can get to where the waveguide is not super efficient. Okay, now, all right. Remember, too, waveguides are never, you don't get 100% reflection. Right, right. There's it's always just some a, transmission. It's just a guide. <laughs> right, it's just not a guide. A, not a law, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you it. need to have more transmission than reflection to exit the waveguide. Okay, all right, but that happens fairly easily. It does happen fairly easily. Okay. And when that happens, you've now got a long wavelength electromagnetic thing going through a very magnetically <laughs> active part of our ionosphere. <laughs> so stuff happens now because you got some magnet magnet interaction, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, so the wave actually follows a magnetic field line. This is so cool. So that would mean if you're following that magnetic field line do you hear these things on the other side of the world incidental to your magnetic field line? Yeah. So you, the other hemisphere gets your energy, your spheric. Oh, it's so cool. Okay. It goes out of our atmosphere, way out into space, and then gets pulled back towards Earth by that magnetic field line. That's so awesome. So now instead of 2,000 mile away thunderstorms, yeah. Antipodal, not antipodal, but, you know, other side of the Earth thunderstorms. That's really cool. Right. So as it's going along that, that's where we get these things called whistlers, right? Yes. <laughs> this is what I thought had to do with sprites and jets, because I thought that I had read something that these were all the same phenomenon, but, but no. Now, I know there's are, some electromagnetic things with sprites and jets, but these are right, exactly. but these from are, the surface. Right, surface thunderstorms, yeah, which is even cooler, really. I mean, sprites and jets are pretty close up there anyway, so this is even more interesting that it can go from the surface all the way along this magnetic field line, producing the sound like a ray gun. <laughs> yeah, and so they're in that 1 to 30 kilohertz band again, and it's the same... Physics. So it's dispersion. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the slower waves traveling at a lower velocity. Or sorry, the longer waves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lower frequencies traveling at a slower velocity through the plasma that's in the ionosphere. Mm -hmm. So that stretches out in time. And what mm -hmm. that means is it starts out at high frequency and goes to low frequency over sometimes several single-digit seconds. Pew-pews. It makes long pew-pews. Long pew-pews. <laughs> this is so cool. I could listen to these all day. This was so exciting. 
You need to build a receiver and listen to them yourself. <gasps> oh, how cool is that? And then do I get to tell my kids that that's, you know, the intergalactic fighting <laughs> that's mm-hmm. occurring right above us? <laughs> I mean, that's I would seems... say you'd say it's rock music, but it's not really from the rocks. So. Ah, <laughs> air guitar. i like it (laughs) oh man yeah these are super neat i definitely went down a rabbit hole of listening to a lot of whistlers yeah and we're not the only place that has them uh voyager one and voyager two found whistlers when they were flying by jupiter not surprising you can also listen to Jupiter's electromagnetic emissions with a home-built telescope. Mm. Oh, this is very, this is very cool. Um, I saw that Jupiter has like a very active aurora right now because there are all kinds of hilarious memes about Jupiter was jealous of the Webb Space Telescope, <laughs> so it's putting on a show. So hmm. maybe it's very noisy right now too. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I'm trying to find if this project still exists. There used to be a Radio Jove project that I think was a NASA-sponsored project. Mm. Uh, But it looks like there's at least... Yep, Radio... Okay, here we go. Oh, no, it's a 404 now. Oh, no. That's okay. Okay, here we go. So... That particular page that I had bookmarked from years ago was a 404, but this one still works. So radiojove.gsfc, Goddard Space Flight Center, dot nasa.gov. Oh, okay. I got this. Yep. And they've got Mm -hmm. some kits. They've got ways you can build your own receiver. They've got ways that you can uh, use software to find radio. But this whole thing is about how you can listen to Jupiter's electromagnetic radiation. This is super cool. Oh, and they've got Jupiter radio storm predictions. So prediction tables for when you're going to get it. Oh, this is really neat. Okay, great. Little uh, summertime experiments. Yeah. (laughs) That's super cool. Uh, Also, (laughs) HARP, everybody's favorite conspiracy theory place. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So HARP is a high-frequency radio facility operated by the government. Uh, It has been able to excite Whistler mode signals in the VLF range that they then detected at the magnetic conjugate point. So we were able to inject VLF into the atmosphere, and it followed the magnetic field lines, and then we pick it up at the magnetic conjugate. That's so cool. Wow. That is super cool. But these have been around for a while. So they were really clearly described in the literature in 1919. We think they were probably heard up to 40 years before that. And then finally, uh, some PhD work done on it in the early 50s. It's so interesting to me that one of the things that I was always worried about was that there wouldn't be enough stuff to, to research. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's so much, right? <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. 
wow, this is really cool. I will say that you said harp, and then I started to think about drinking a black and tan. <laughs> but th- <laughs> that wasn't the harp you were talking about. <laughs> no, though I actually right now have a pink lemonade sour ale by me. It's delicious. Oh, oh, look at you. <laughs> harp. Okay, well, I know but, where yeah, I'm going to so... go after this. <laughs> I thought this was a, a cool a musical adjacent yep. topic. <laughs> it sure was. We're hitting them all. This is great. And if any of you all have things like uh, software-defined radios laying around, I know we have some radio hobbyists that listen, uh, you know, go throw up a VLF antenna and see if you can pick up some Whistlers or Jovian Lightning. Yeah, exactly. Please send us those clips. That's awesome. Yeah. So. But, yes. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a good summary point uh, for these. I I want to go more into the atmospheric electromagnetic structure of the atmosphere. I think. I think that's definitely another show or two. Yes. Mm-hmm, uh, for and also, sure. I have to do some more research on that. Uh, yeah, that class was a long time ago. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh-huh. uh-huh, yeah. I was going to say that while you're trying to put up this antenna, you better be careful. You don't want to have to make a trip to the hospital if anything happens. Which brings us to everybody's favorite <laughs> segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. Okay, so this paper. I didn't go straight to the BMJ to find a paper when you said find a paper. I found it a different way. And... I don't know. I read it and I thought it was funny. And then, well, I read the title and thought it was funny. Then I read the abstract and I actually lolled. <laughs> but then I read the paper and I was like, was this a for real paper? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had a lot of, um, a lot of mixed feelings about, about this paper, I guess. <laughs> so it is from Christmas. Uh, it's the Christmas edition 2012. <laughs> And it's yeah. pain over speed bumps in diagnosis of acute appendicitis diagnostic accuracy study by Ashdown et al. <laughs> uh, so what was initially, I was like, okay, this is dumb, right? When you read that. And then <laughs> it's using how much pain you have going over a speed bump and doing the statistics of whether that means you have acute appendicitis. Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so you're on your way to the hospital. You go in and complain of abdominal pain. One of the questions that these authors say they should ask you is, on the way to the hospital, did you drive over any speed bumps? And if you say yes, they should say, did it hurt? And if you say yes, <laughs> that is a diagnostic tool. And it was like 77 to 98% you know, accuracy. <laughs> of that being diagnostic of having acute appendicitis. (laughs) Right. Though, (laughs) interestingly enough, it is a high sensitivity metric, but a low specificity metric. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the rule in versus rule out. I didn't think about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So the high sensitivity means pain over speed bumps is a strong indicator that you have an abdominal issue, appendicitis or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But 
the low specificity means it can't tell the diagnostician whether it's appendicitis or some other abdominal problem. Right. But in the cases where it was another abdominal problem, it was something that still needed to be surgically investigated anyway. So, you know. But if you said, no, the speed bumps were fine, they probably are going to start looking somewhere other than your abdomen. Yeah. Which is where I thought, was this not a joke paper? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? And then the figure, until I saw the figure, which is just a drawing (laughs) of people in a car, one of them holding their abdomen with a grimace on their face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was amazing <laughs> it is a very 90s powerpoint <laughs> clip art car it's so good but there's like shading on the car I mean that's an impressive paint job <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that was pretty good um, but I thought that was really interesting though because it was saying that you know, in the case where it wasn't acute appendicitis, it was still terrible stuff like diverticulitis or like a burst ovarian cyst and something. So still needed to be looked into. Yeah. And then the other part I thought was funny that it said that I guess the the way you entered the hospital was different. <laughs> and so <laughs> some of their, um, the difference between their pilot study and their actual study, the way that people got to the hospital changed, and there weren't as many speed bumps on that direction. Right. So I thought that was pretty funny, too. They so what they're saying is they need to put a speed bump right before the emergency right room entrance. So when you pull up, they can watch the security camera and go, ooh, they grimaced. <laughs> that would be interesting for doing that. And also, like, if you have... My understanding is this is a very painful thing. And so if you have this, you really want to fill out this survey? They're saying yeah. they surveyed people after getting to the hospital, but before going to the surgery. <laughs> well, I mean, while you're waiting, you might as well have something to take your mind off the pain. I guess. Hey, fill this out. <laughs> yeah. It's that or a so. coloring book, so. Uh, this is one of my... I mean, I'm not going to say like a major fear, but something that I've always worried about, especially, you know, traveling internationally for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like right now would be a terrible time for my appendix to decide that it needs to be taken out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, what a weird thing. Didn't they, didn't you tell me, did you say this? Like you're not allowed to go to Antarctica if you have an appendix? Uh, that was not me. And that is not true. It's not true. Was that, who told me that? They lied. <laughs> hmm. I know no, lots of course of people it's not true. I did and have too. Appendices. Yeah. <laughs> Was it like a certain amount of time? Somebody said that. I don't remember where I heard that little tidbit. <laughs> that seems like one of those urban myths, but uh, I'm not going to discount it because I can't disprove it. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe my, a short my specificity of time. on the topic is low, but my sensitivity is high because <laughs> I know so many people that have been. <laughs> That's true. So just another interesting BMJ one that was funny and then thought-provoking, as I imagine they're supposed to be. Right. (laughs) So if you've got data on speed bump sensitivity when you had your appendix removed, (laughs) 
Or if you would like to send in recordings of Spherix or Whistlers, if you want to crank up your AM radio and tune into a distant station, we'd love to hear it. Shannon, how can they send that in? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Sometimes we're hanging out in the Slack chat room. You can find us at the Don't Panic channel of the Software Underground. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to give us money to keep listening to things in the sky, please do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.